a speeding bullet. More powerful than a locomotive. Able to leap tall buildings at a single bound. It's a bird! It's a plane! It's Superman! It's Superman! Man of the Superman! Superman rocketed to Earth as an infant when the distant planet Krypton exploded. And who, disguised as Clark Kent, mild mannered reporter for the Daily Planet, fights a never ending battle for truth, justice, and freedom with superpowers far beyond those of ordinary mortals? It's Superman! 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 Man of Screen. Hey everybody, welcome to episode 88 of the Man of Screen podcast. I am your host, Mike Zumo, and this is it, folks. This is the last episode in which I'm going to cover the Formation cartoons, the new adventures of Superman, and the adventures of Superboy. While it hasn't been nearly as long of a as it was to George Reeves' Adventures of Superman, it is another milestone ending to this podcast. When this show is complete, I will have finished 18 episodes covering Filmation, which includes uh, 17 episodes covering uh, both Superman and Superboy episodes, and another covering those three Justice League of America shorts. So, what that means for the podcast is, this is the last episode of this wave. For those of you who recall, I uh, took about a two-month break after concluding The Adventures of Superman, and I'm going to take another two-month break after this episode. There's still going to be a couple scattered episodes uh, in between. I'll, I'll get to that toward the end of the show, what I'm going to cover next. And a new project that I'm starting to uh, work on that I am not ready to announce yet. But I am going to take a little bit of a break. Um, you know, just to uh, prepare for the upcoming uh, long stretch of Super Friends episodes. And to get myself uh, ahead of the game a little bit. This episode is scheduled to drop on January 2nd. I'm recording this on December 28th. You know, my original plan heading into the Filmation cartoons was... Now, just to give you a peek behind the curtain a little bit, was to finish recording Filmation episodes in November. And I had to record it all in December. And as you can see, it didn't work out that way. I didn't get nearly as much done when I was on hiatus over the summer, you know, with the birth of my daughter and all. But, you know, it is what it is. But recording on a week-to-week basis is not the way to run a uh, weekly podcast without uh, killing yourself from exhaustion. And... And maybe if uh, I had been ahead a little bit, I, I would have waited until my voice cleared up a little bit before recording those last few episodes. I, God, when I listened back to episode 87, boy, did I sound drunk during that episode. I wasn't, but oh, my voice sounded horrible. And then the episode before that, too. I'm still coughing a little bit now, but I'm not nearly as off as I was in that episode. So, basically, after I cover this episode, one month off, an episode covering the uh, Filmation Brady Bunch episode in which Superman makes an appearance, and another month off, then we launch into Super Friends starting on March 6th. That's still a long way away, but before we get to any of that, there still is some business that needs to be attended to this week, and that is completing my run of Filmation episodes. And before I get to my last run of Filmation episodes, I have some feedback to address from friend of the show, Dave McElvenny. Dave is writing in on Man of Screen episode number 79, in which he Writes about when I reached to the end of uh, Season 1 of the Filmations. Dave writes, Greetings, Mike. Another milestone. The end of Season 1 of the Filmation cartoons. I'm enjoying this. It was good to see Brainiac's quote-unquote first appearance on this show, even though we've seen him before. 
Mildly confusing, I suppose, but they probably weren't paying close attention to continuity when they were airing these shows. It's also good to see Superman perform super stunts like lifting elephants, as I wish he'd have been able to do in the George Reeves Adventures of Superman show. Not only does Superman, as an orphan himself, always support orphanages, but his very costume shows his strong affinity for circuses. In A Devil of a Time, Superboy as the Devil was a delight. It's always a treat to see such a straight arrow character play the ultimate evil character and trick the bad guys into incriminating themselves. It's too bad we didn't get to see Crypto as some sort of hellhound. In The Malevolent Mummy, it was nice to see Superman's nod to his youth as Superboy. I think he'd, a lot, he'd have a lot of fond memories of a boyhood with superpowers. In The Revolt of Robotville, we get to see an early version of the 1973 movie Westworld, whose tagline was, Where Nothing Could Possibly Go Wrong. And with the Birdmen of Lost Valley, bad guys learn, and we the audience are reminded, that Superman will not put up with slavery. Duh. Truth, Justice, and Freedom is in the introduction to each of the episodes of this show. Live long and prosper, Dave. Yeah, I really don't have anything uh, to add to what to Dave's comments. Uh, I believe the Adventures of the Superman episode he's referring to is the stolen elephant, which we I commented that I wish we could see George Reeves carrying an elephant to the circus. Anything would have made that episode better. And I really don't have anything to add to uh, Dave's comments on the various episodes. One thing about Devil of a Time that jumped out at me was Clark wearing his glasses at first over over the cow, and he makes a comparison to the uh, 1973 movie Westworld, which I haven't seen, and I've seen neither that nor the uh, HBO show of the same name. And the same thing about the Birdman of Lost Valley, you know, Dave's right, he, Superman will not put up with slavery, and just as we saw in last week's episode, Superboy is not going to put up with intolerance either. So, what I'm going to do now is I'm going to take a quick break, play a podcast promo, then I'm going to come back with the Ghost of Kilbane Castle, and the Superboy episode, The Monster Molecule. Hang around, folks. everybody, Magnus here. At Trennis Magnus Punches Reality, I talk about comics, movies, and TV shows. But mostly it's comics. And starting in February 2018, I'm launching a mega-series that's all about Batman comics. And right now, you're probably saying, but Magnus, but Magnus, does this have anything to do with that new Batman movie that may or may not be coming soon? Why, yes. Yes, it does. I plan to talk about a crapload of Batman comics, and I want you riding along in the Batmobile with me. This is the Caped Crusades, a 24-part mega-series all about Batman comics that have meant a lot to me for a lot of years now. And as I work through all of that, I'll also talk about what I personally consider to be Batman's series finale. All that and more is part of the Caped Crusades, a 24-part Trennis Magnus Punches Reality mega-series. Be there in February 2018. Trennis Magnus Punches Reality can be found at 2TrueFreaks.com as well as iTunes.
welcome back, folks. Uh, both of the episodes in this segment were originally broadcast on October 26, 1968, and we're going to start with the Superman episode, The Ghost of Kilbane Castle, by Oscar Bensall. And our synopses are brought to you by supermanhomepage.com, your number one source for Superman information on the web. In Scotland, while Clark Kent stays the night at an inn, Lois and Jimmy go to a haunted Kilbane Castle. Oh, admit it, Clark. You've chickened because of that story about the ghost of Kilbane Castle, right? Uh, uh, n- not really, Lois. It's just that I'd rather spend the night at this lovely old inn. Oh, sure. I'll meet you there tomorrow morning at 7 a.m. Sharp. Let's synchronize watches, Jimmy. We better get going, Miss Wayne. I'll see you tomorrow, Mr. Kent. Right, Jim. Good night. I've got a hunch there may be a job for Superman before the night is over. Two twins at the castle try scaring them away. Fearing they'll discover that their clan stole the castle from another clan. Their scare tactics cause a ghost from the other clan to be released, and Superman manages to save Lois and Jimmy, arrest the twins, and assure the ghost that the clan will regain his castle. I cannot get me hands free! Please, Superman, tell the dreaded ghost to stop playing the cursed tune! Gentlemen! I'm happy to inform you that this castle will be turned over to its rightful owners, the McBoon clan. Uh, what will become of us? Where will we live? Don't worry about that. I'm taking you to another castle. It's called Edinburgh Prison. Up, up, and away! Uh, now I and all the McBoons can rest peacefully for eternity. So this has an interesting twist on the uh, on the classic uh, haunted castle uh, motif. Basically, uh, what we're going to find out throughout the course of this episode is, as the synopsis told us, is that the ghost turns out to be a quote-unquote good guy. And these two twin brothers, Duncan and Donald Kilbane, are actually the bad guys. Trying to trick Lois and Jimmy into believing there's actually a ghost to kind of scare them away because... They're afraid these two reporters are going to discover a centuries-old secret. You would think that, you know, I don't know, after centuries, somebody would know the history of this castle, but apparently it's some kind of secret. So anyway, we're going to start off this episode with our Daily Planet gang investigating the castle. Clark uh, kind of chickens out, and of course Lois accuses Clark of being a chicken, but you know what? This is an easy out here for Clark to uh, change into Superman as he's sensing a job for Superman. And as they're driving... uh we meet the twins, Duncan and Donald Kilbane. They both look exactly and dress exactly alike. And uh, they really want no part of the reporters being there. I'm not necessarily sure who arranged for Lois and Jimmy to be at this castle overnight. But they're not too happy about it. Because they are afraid that their dark secret will be revealed. And I wonder if these two guys actually had anything to do with taking the castle from the other clan. Because if it's something their ancestors did... Why are they feeling so guilty about it? Or if they're not feeling guilty, why are they worried about repercussions if the entire other clan is dead? Unless they're actually concerned about a ghost. It doesn't add up. So Jimmy is reading up on the legend of the ghost of Kilbane Castle. And so the first of the dangers Lois and Jimmy are going to face is some dynamite, which is kind of at the uh, boundary of the castle property. As they're driving under an arch, Superman saves them. And when he's questioned by Lois, Superman stammers a bit to come up with a reason for his being there, which is interesting. Normally, Clark can and or, and or Superman there. He's right on the ball coming up with reasons why he's going to be someplace he shouldn't necessarily be. But he does come up with the idea of Jimmy's signal watch going off. And uh, Jimmy is surprised because he doesn't recall setting it. 
And Jimmy makes a point to say that Clark may have said it when the two of them synchronized their watches. There is no actual visual evidence to support Jimmy's claim. As I did go back to look, when they say they're going to synchronize watches, you see neither Clark nor Jimmy's hands or wristwatches. So, Clark must have hit the button, and obviously there's no way for Jimmy to know because he can't hear the signal, only Superman can. So, like I mentioned before, the twins uh, have their shameful secret, and Duncan wants to do something to get rid of them. And then he's uh, going to uh, put a plan into motion when they're sleeping. Donald says something about the ghost. But uh, Lois had asked if he had ever seen it. Aye, Miss Lane. These bagpipes belong to the Kilbane clan for the past century. Some will tell you they have magic powers. Really? Have you ever actually seen the ghost of the castle, Mr. Kilbane? Aye, lass. I have indeed. Well, tis late. We'd best retire for the night. Come with me. Uh, good night. Well, um, good night, sir. So, as Lois and Jimmy are sleeping, Superman is watching over them. And here are Donald and Duncan acting like very poor ghosts. You know, they don't seem completely into it. And one is basically calling, uh, playing the bagpipes in the, in the dining room, it looks like. Jimmy calls Superman and there's nothing there. I mean, literally, uh, the, the quote-unquote ghost is standing in the room and then disappears on Jimmy. I, the ghost is, there's no ghost, at least not at this point. It's one of the Kilbane brothers trying to play a trick. So I don't understand quite how he got away without Jimmy noticing. I mean, <clears throat> I had never, I don't believe I'd ever seen this episode coming into this, but I never believed there was a ghost. And I'm kind of wondering if you believe there's a ghost uh, early on, as you were watching this. <clears throat> so apparently the Kilbane ancestors, uh, we learn here that they stole the castle, and uh, these two guys are either ashamed of it or worried about repercussions for what their ancestors have done. I'm not sure how many hundreds of years this castle has been in the Kilbane family, but you would think after a century or two, uh, nobody would actually care anymore. And then I got thrown for a little bit of a curveball here, as as the bagpipe playing actually summoned an actual ghost. And at first, I thought they were summoning the ghost on purpose, but <clears throat> it's not. Here, Donald. Play loud. It'll scare the wits out of them. Play Terry McMoon's bagpipes. Hey, Duncan. Terry's corpses on them will be a greater curse. If those reporters find out our ancestors' treachery stole this castle from the McMoons. So we got another point here where Jimmy's got some kind of sword with a glowing handle. And that's going to be important. It's going to be important enough for the ghost to follow them. So eventually, uh, Jimmy and Lois kind of are trying to get away from the castle. And they find themselves running from this new ghost, which looks like an older man with a mustache. And the Kilbane's trying to get away as well. And the bagpipe playing continues to cause trouble. The ghost is summoning a large sea serpent. Which chases Lois and Jimmy, and Superman is still hovering as uh, the bagpipe seems to have taken away his ability to fly as part one comes to a conclusion. So, as the second part starts, the ghost is playing his bagpipes, and the sea serpent is attacking Lois and Jimmy, and in a hilarious image, Superman is hanging onto its tail and it just shrugs him off. And in a stunning turn of events, Superman takes the ghost's bagpipes. He just flies in there and takes the ghost's bagpipes. You would think he won't be able to grab ghostly bagpipes, but he can. I guess because he's Superman. And without the uh, bagpipes, the sea serpent is a little more vulnerable, and Superman is able to wrestle it to the bottom of the river. So that was kind of anticlimactic. A quick end to a scary-looking threat. So now Lois and Jimmy's boat is moving on its own, and they're going deeper and deeper into this cave and right into the clutches of one of the Gilbane twins. And now here are the Gilbanes showing Superman that Lois and Jimmy are tied up above some spikes, and he's going to kill them unless 
Superman deals with the ghost that they summoned. You know, typical criminals. They can't face responsibility for their actions. They raise the ghost, and now Superman has to deal with it. Otherwise, it's going to mean the end of Lois and Jimmy. Superman, if you're looking for your funny friends, they're up here, just hanging around. Right, Scott. I warn you, Kilbane. If you don't... I warn you, sir. Those blades below are razor sharp. If you make so much as a wee move to save these folks, I'll cut this rope. He's right. What do you want, Kilbane? To release them, I mean. Get Terry McBoone's ghost back into his crypt and seal him in. Frankly, I don't think I have a ghost of a chance. Okay, Kilbane. I'll see what I can do. So basically, Superman's way to deal with the ghost is to make a deal with it. Until I regained what was stolen from me by the fire of Kilbane's, my spirit cannot rest peacefully. I'll help you get them back, if you'll help me. Can you draw Duncan away from that rope for just one second? Aye, that I can. But I need me magic bite. You're a man of honor, Terry McBoone. I trust you not to use them against my friends. Basically, in exchange for his help, Superman asks the ghost, which is the, which is, I guess, the last uh, ghostly representative of the family from which the Kilbanes stole the castle, and he wants the Kilbanes out of there. So the uh, Kilbanes have spotted Superman's deception, and they're about to kill Lois and Jimmy. And the ghost shows up and starts bagpiping. Lois and Jimmy's rope is cut, and Superman kind of flies by them, you know. He flies by underneath them, knocking down the spikes. They plunge down, and, uh, Meanwhile, the animation is showing Superman do a bunch of uh, loop-de-loops. You know, the same loop-de-loops he does in every episode in Season 3. And it seems to take him forever to save Lois and Jimmy. So, but eventually he does catch them and flies them back up to the uh, rooftop of the castle or the roof or whatever it is. So, with Lois and Jimmy safe for the moment, Superman meets up with the ghost and uh, the Kilbanes are going to destroy the castle and Superman stops the dynamite, but it weakens the ceiling, necessitating Superman to save Lois and Jimmy again. If nothing else, that gave Superman a chance to crack about them, quote-unquote, dropping in on him. So now the Kilbanes are begging Superman to make the ghost go away, and he gives the castle back to the uh, McBoone clan, who are the uh, proper owners of the castle. And the Kilbanes end up going to jail. So now that the ghost is pleased that he and his ancestors can rest in peace, and he's holding the sword that we saw Jimmy with in part one, apparently that's some kind of family heirloom, I guess. So the criminals raised the ghost, and Superman dealt with it. So, after our ending, Clark asks about Lois and Jimmy's rough night, and Clark says the end was spooky. Lois and Jimmy don't mention anything about their ghostly encounter, and Clark winks because he knows all about it. Not a bad story. It's a simplistic ghost story. I did like the twist that the ghost was after the villains, and not the uh, the reporters, Lois and Jimmy. The story had some of the elements of the Adventures of Superman episode, The Evil Three. Mainly the plot to get the reporters to stay somewhere else, and the use of a fake ghost to scare them. For those of you who remember my coverage of that episode with Bob Fisher, Perry and Jimmy showed up at the uh, Bayou Hotel because they wanted to fish the pond, and the hotel was all run down, and the owner, Macy Taylor, was basically crazy, and they tried to dress another guy up as the ghost of uh, the previous owner to scare them off. Something similar here, but not to the spooky extent that the Evil 3 went. However, unlike the Evil 3, which was one of the, the best of the Avengers of Superman, this episode had an actual ghost, where that one did not. So, let's move on to the Superboy episode, The Monster Molecule. 
And this is written by Oscar Bensall. A physicist invented an energy device that uses a universal molecule. By showing it to another scientist, the device malfunctions and causes magnetic waves attracting all metal objects hit by a beam to be attracted to the sun. Superboy and Crypto save a bridge and then stop the device. But the observing scientist is left affected by the energy. Oh, poor Dr. Bourne. That energy is slowly sapping his life. Can't you do anything to save him? Nothing. Not without the universal molecule you released when you wrecked the Energizer. Oh, if only we could travel into the future. What do you mean? Well, someday, far in the future, that molecule will grow to visible size. Then... How long will that take? Roughly a thousand years. Let's go, Crypto! Up, up, and away! So Superboy and Crypto must fly to the future to obtain a piece of the power source molecule, so that the physicist can save the scientist. Alright, so apparently this professor has made the breakthrough of a lifetime. Where does your cosmic energizer get its power, Professor Lane? From a single molecule in its solar unit, Dr. Bourne. A universal molecule which combines every known atom in its nucleus. No! Good grief! The energizer's out of control! Now, as powerful radio waves bombard the sun, a magnetic beam snakes out toward Earth and weaves a wild, destructive course, drawing up every metal object in its path. You know, I don't pretend to understand what this guy is saying. I'm not even sure the writer of this episode understood what this guy was saying, and he wrote the damn dialogue. And I listened to this dialogue several times and really got tired of trying to unpack it. But what you need to know is his cosmic device here is powered by a single molecule. You know, the Energizer is out of control, and it sucks up a bridge. And again, at the Holocaust, and here comes Superboy and Crypto. We're going to find out that the beam has no effect on the Kryptonian, so Superboy leaves Crypto to deflect the waves while Superboy punches the device to turn it off. And meanwhile, the device is doing something to the other scientist, not the professor. So, here's the trick. The scientist tells him the molecule will grow to visible size in 1,000 years. If only they could travel into the future. Well, golly gee whiz, if only we knew of a superhero in the Silver Age that could travel through time. Oh, wait, we do know one. So we're going to get some uh, rotation that Superboy is traveling into the 30th century. So here's the future. It's a very violent future, but, you know, like every time we go to the future, we have flying cars. And I know many of us are disappointed that Back to the Future didn't fulfill its promise and get us flying cars by 2015. I guess we're just going to have to wait longer. But we are 1,000 years in the future in the 30th century. And it's a violent, like I said, it's a violent future. And after Superboy makes a rescue in the future, these people are not at all shocked to see a being from 1,000 years in the past. A Superboy! As powerful as the legendary Superman! Uh, you might say we're related. What's going on here? You just rescued us from Karg's execution squad. Karg? Who's he? An evil scientist who controls all with a devastating new weapon. We are leaders of a group that is trying to overthrow Karg. Where can I find this Karg? In his fortress, in the center of Smallville. And that's where we're heading, Crypto. They even mentioned the legendary Superman, and Superboy is very nonchalant about it. I guess he just assumes they're referring to him, and kind of, they move on. So apparently he saved them from an evil scientist named Karg with a new weapon, and he's in the center of Smallville. Can you imagine that? The mad scientist who's ruling the world, apparently, is based in Smallville. Go figure. Superboy finds a giant version of the Energizer that the uh, professor was working on in the present time, and this time it has some, it creates some kryptonite, and uh, Superboy begs Karg for the, mo- the molecule as he's being drained by the effects of the kryptonite race. I was warned of your approach, Superboy. You must be Karg. Yes, Boy of Steel. 
and with the universal molecule now grown gigantic, I can even create kryptonite, the one substance that is deadly to you. Please, let me have that molecule. A man's life depends on it. A lot I care about one man. With this weapon, I can conquer the entire solar system. Crypto, it's up to you, boy. Go find some lead. Hurry. But Crypto finds some lead, so even in the future, lead is readily available. And once he uh, gets his powers back, Superboy borrows into the Earth for the to create the world's most powerful. He grabs some molecules for the world's most powerful magnet. He takes the molecule, which will give people of Smallville what they need to overthrow Karg, and then Superboy will take it back to the present, and they use it to save the scientist. For the ending, Superboy wasn't sure if the molecule had him or if he had it. Good, good. It's disintegrating the energy around him. What happened? There, there, Dr. Bourne. All that matters is you're alive and well again. Uh, thanks to Superboy. <laughs> yes. How lucky for me, Superboy, that, that you were able to find the molecule. Yes. Though for a time there, I wasn't sure whether I had it or it had me. This was a very strange episode. It's very disappointing to see Superboy travel 1,000 years into the future and not see the Legion of Superheroes. But none of them's kind of the breaks. I mean, they had been around for 10 years by the time this was produced, but the story really didn't have room for them, and I don't think Filmation had the rights to use them, so I guess it is what it is. But still, I mean, I don't know how this molecule could be visible a thousand years in the future. Molecules don't necessarily grow in size, I don't believe. Maybe it forms some kind of material that would have been visible to the naked eye, but the single molecule itself would never be visible. Some faulty comic book science there. Okay, episode. Nothing spectacular. I'm going to take a quick break, play a podcast promo, then I'm going to come back to wrap up Filmation coverage with the Japanese Sandman and the Great Kryptonite Caper. Hang around, folks. In 1977, the world changed. The film industry was transformed. The popular culture rocked. And young minds forever altered. Star Wars arrived. And nothing would ever be the same again. Though everyone wasn't affected in the same way, everyone was affected. This is my Star Wars story. My Star Wars Story. Monthly at MyStarWarsStory.com all right, welcome back, folks. The original broadcast date for the episode to this segment was November 2nd, 1968. And we're going to start with the Japanese Sandman. And our synopses are brought to you by SupermanHomePage.com, your number one source for Superman information on the web. In Japan, Clark and Jimmy are covering an industrialist who is being hounded by a saboteur. When Jimmy gets the Black Pearl after Superman rescues a pearl diver, the saboteur summons the mystic Sandman figure who can blow sand, causing magical sleep to help with his sabotage. Hear me, oh Japanese Sandman. Let the ashes that I hold in my hand make you rise up from the sand. I am Suji. I wish to make a bargain. You destroy all the property of my enemy, and I shall give you a giant black pearl. 
Superman must fight off the, super, the Sandman sleeping sand and save Jimmy from a death trap while capturing the saboteur and defeating the Sandman. Mr. Sandman. Nah, never mind, I'm not going to sing. I like having listeners. So anyway, uh, this episode starts with uh, Clark and Jimmy covering a ship christening in Japan and there is immediately an explosion which sends Jimmy to the signal watch and Superman into action. And Superman will push the boat into the water and away from the people. Basically, the explosion was caused when the industrialist, Mr. Komodo, hits the uh, champagne bottle against the side of the hull. And the saboteur is uh, Mr. Suji, who is a, uh, I want to say, a competitor to uh, Komodo. So, there are no witnesses as to what happened to the boat until Superman flies off. Later on, Clark and Jimmy are watching some women die for oysters, and they get attacked by an octopus. Superman saves them, and they swim free. But Mr. Komodo gives a black pearl to Superman, who gives it to Jimmy. Yeah, nothing can go wrong with this. You give Jimmy some kind of trinket, and you know that's a recipe for disaster. Sorry, Superman, you really should have known better here. So, Suji will do an incantation to make a bargain with the Sandman. He will give the Sandman the Black Pearl, which will give him the strength of 1,000 men. And true to his legend, the uh, Sandman puts the hotel clerk to sleep and steals the pearl, and he grows. The uh, Sandman started as a little doll, and once he gets the Black Pearl, he's pretty large and buff, and that kind of signals that he has the strength of 1,000 men. So, instead of going to Komodo's plant, Jimmy wants to dig around on Suji. He clanny claims to be sick, which is nice. I like seeing Jimmy make a lame excuse for once and not just Clark. So, at, Kim- at Komodo's car plant, the uh, Sandman knocks out the guard and is destroying some cars. Clark says he's going to call the police, but instead changes into Superman. And uh, when he's confronted with Superman, this is kind of interesting, that the Sandman just kind of goes to sand and Superman takes the Black Pearl. Which, I don't know, just seems to make the whole thing too easy. So eventually, uh, Jimmy is caught at the Suji plant by Suji and the Sandman. and uh, Suji's explosives factory. I help you? Yeah, uh-oh. Uh, I'm, I'm lost. Uh, could you tell me the way to... To Dreamland. Jimmy is wrapped up in nitroglycerin bricks. So this is uh, quite the trap here. Jimmy has to be very still, otherwise he will explode. And Suji and the Sandman have to be very careful, otherwise they're going to explode Jimmy as they're setting this trap. So they load Jimmy onto a conveyor belt, and this is when Superman shows up, and the Sandman tells Superman about... Where Jimmy is, and he will free Jimmy in exchange for the Black Pearl. Going someplace, gentlemen? The Superman! Right. Jimmy Olsen is in that container made of nitroglycerin bricks. Nitro? Great Scott, the slightest jolt. Yes, only I know how to free him. And I will if you give me the Black Pearl. Here's the Pearl. Now, get him out of there or I'll... You will go to sleep. Great galaxy, suddenly sleepy, double-crossed, can't fight off sleepiness. And Superman obviously goes for it. He wants to save Jimmy. Having the Black Pearl is not worth it to Superman if it costs his pal his life. So he gives the Sandman the the Pearl, and he's getting drowsy as part one comes to an end. So as part two starts, Superman spins to get the sleep out of his eyes, and uh, that works, for him at least. Maybe I should try that the next time I'm tired, but I have a feeling that instead of feeling uh, more awoken and refreshed, I'll just feel dizzy. So maybe I shouldn't try that. But it's nice to see Sandman's magic affect Superman here. 
because, you know, like everybody knows about Superman's weakness with regards to Kryptonite, not as many people, I mean, obviously comic writers and people who handle the character know that Superman is vulnerable to magic, at least to the extent that his powers won't work on the supernatural. So he's not protected from from it. He would have no more resistance than you or I to a vampire or something if such a thing existed. But Superman still has a predicament about how to get Jimmy out of those nitro bricks. And he has to be very, very gentle. So, well, Superman uses some fumes to rescue Jimmy. And Superman's involvement now seems to have Suji wanting to behave himself a little bit more. But Suji does not want to run afoul of Superman anymore that he already has. So he is ready to uh, kind of run for the hills here and uh, stop sabotaging uh, Komodo's plants. My revenge, Sandman, and you have your pearl. With Superman around, it is not wise to continue. No, Sojay. I enjoy destroying the property of Kamoto. Kamoto's feel That goes next. But, however, the Sandman that he raised is defiant and is having far too much fun to stop now. And while Suji and the Sandman are talking about how much fun the Sandman is having, Destroying things, Superman is saving a drowsy Jimmy from the nitroglycerin bricks. So meanwhile, the Sandman is still harassing the uh, the Komodo industry, and uh, the Sandman has now set fire to Komodo's oil field, and Superman is again in pursuit. So now, Superman is going to put the fire out by going back to the explosive yard. He helps himself to some of Mr. Stooge's explosives, and drops the nitro onto the fire and putting it out. And, I have to do s- and the science here is pretty, uh, pretty sound as... Oil fire is a little more difficult to extinguish than regular fires due to the enormous fuel supply. So, the high explosives serve to create a shockwave that pushes the burning fuel and uh, local atmospheric oxygen away from the fire. So, if the fire is deprived of oxygen, it can no longer burn. I would have much rather seen Superman kind of do something himself, like, uh, you know, a giant super clap or something to destroy the... to suck the oxygen away from the fire. But, you know what? The nitroglycerin was established earlier in the episode, so it's nice to see it put to good use, as opposed to just using it to blow up Jimmy. So now Jimmy is driving, and he sees Sandman and Suji, who have now attacked some kind of warehouse, and now the Sandman is getting really arrogant as they go after Komodo and his chief engineer. So Komodo is put inside a large model engine, and he's literally going to be pistoned to death. Can you imagine that? He's going to be inside an engine, and this piston is going to just keep smashing his ribcage, I guess, until he... Until he dies. Very nice, Mr. Sandman. He brought him a piston. You could at least bring him a drink. So here is Jimmy being heroic, and that's always going to get him into trouble. Because if you have a Superman episode, Superman has to be the hero. Jimmy being the hero usually means he's going to fail to be the hero, and Superman is going to have to save him, too. So we're looking at, at our people, our friends here in the engine, and they're either going to explode or get squashed, not sure which. But Superman ignores Suji and the Sandman, and he basically saved the trio from the engine. And then he arrests Suji. But the Sandman's threat remains, and he is going to put Superman to sleep like a baby. Where you're going, Suji, there'll be no exit for a long, long time. They say to catch mouse like Suji, Superman. Stay away from me, or I will put you to sleep like baby. That may not be so easy to do this time, Sandy boy. You, you close your eyes. Don't waste your time running. I can find you with my eyes shut. Okay, stop. I know nothing about Oscar Bensall, and I couldn't find any information on him. But you know what? I think I'm going to go out on a limb here and say he didn't have children at the time he wrote this. 
if he had children at all. Like I said, I, I know nothing about the man. I know nothing about the man and really couldn't find any information on him. The reason I'm saying this is because no one who's had children would ever use the phrase sleep like a baby to describe sound sleep. There is nothing more frustrating in this life than getting a baby to sleep. And there is sometimes nothing more frustrating than keeping the baby asleep. So the next time someone asks, someone says they, so the next time someone says they slept like a baby, you can ask them if they had a hard time getting themselves to sleep and woke up in the middle of the night crying for no apparent reason. See what they say. All right. Rant on that is over. Just wanted to air out some frustrations. Thank you for indulging me. So Superman has closed his eyes to stop the uh, sand from affecting him. And apparently when he realizes he can't defeat Superman, the Sandman just goes to Pearl and leaves the, uh, Sandman just goes to sand and leaves the Pearl behind. So that is kind of the same trick that the Luminians used in the episode I talked about last week. Once they realized they couldn't do anything to Superman, the Luminians suddenly wanted no part of him. Same thing with the Sandman here. Oh, he can't beat Superman. He becomes a sand pile that Superman can scoop up and drop into the ocean. So I'm not sure how that strategy worked for him, but it clearly worked for Superman. So, Jimmy is pleased with himself as he's going to write about how he single-handedly captured Suji and the Sandman, and then Clark asks about whether he got a little help from Superman. Porch just up ahead, Jim. We'll be in Metropolis tomorrow. Why, Mr. Kent, what a terrific story I'm going to write. Cub reporter captures saboteur and Japanese Sandman single-handed. Almost. You mean with just a little help from Superman, right? Well... Who were you winking at, Mr. Kent? Oh, uh, nobody, really, Jimmy. I, uh, just got a speck of sand in my eye. Oh, oh that can be very annoying. And winks at the camera. Now, I wonder if the producers knew that this was the last Superman episode, because Jimmy asks Clark who he's winking at. Now, we know he's winking at us, the audience, but Jimmy can't break the fourth wall like Clark can. So it's a nice little moment showing that the characters do notice the wink when Clark does it. But Clark brushes it off, saying that he has sand in his eye. And Jimmy just kind of mentions how annoying that is as the episode ends. Honestly, I think I enjoyed that little moment more than the entire episode. Which was very pedestrian. Probably a little stereotypical and racist, but these shows are a product of their time. So, let's move on to The Great Kryptonite Cape. This is by Oscar Bensall. A crook plans to stop Superboy by luring him to a trap with a piece of kryptonite. Lana manages to later get it and sees Clark collapse when near it. Crook kidnaps Lana and Superboy and Krypton must somehow substitute an emerald for the kryptonite. Alright, so this episode starts off with three guys setting a trap for Superboy with kryptonite. Now we'll set off harmless explosions, just enough to bring Superboy here. Uh, then what happens? We hit him with this! Kryptonite, harmless to anyone else, but deadly to Superboy. The day this kryptonite fell into my lap from outer space, I knew I had it made. And it's amazing how widely known kryptonite is. To the point where these three idiots can uh, get a hold of it and trap Superboy. But they're going to use an explosion as bait and they blow up an oil deposit. And the leader loses the kryptonite. Superboy takes a large boulder and puts out the fire and he seals the kryptonite. Basically seals the fire on the ground and I guess it's going to burn out when it runs out of oxygen. So Superboy leaves for home after that. So Superboy leaves, the criminals leave, and a bunch of teenagers wander over to, uh, to the side of the cave. And they're admiring Superboy's handiwork. When Lana sees the kryptonite kind of... Wedged in between uh, the boulder and the uh, cave entrance. So naturally, she does what any one of you would do in this situation when you were teenagers. She takes it. Because ooh, it was pretty and it was shiny. So Lana can't wait to show this to Clark. And uh, when he she when she eventually does, 
He did his kryptonite. Clark goes down. Hi, Clark. Look what I just found. Lana, no, uh, oh, oh. What's wrong, son? That's kryptonite, Dad. Oh, good grief. What happened, Mr. Kent? Uh, please, uh, go find Mrs. Kent, Lana. Uh, I'll look after Clark. And this is going to be very interesting. Lana is kidnapped by the uh, three criminals as she is, uh, as they take the kryptonite from her and they kidnap her and hold her hostage. So uh, Superboy and Crypto are in pursuit of the criminals, but they have to keep their distance because, you know, they don't want to run afoul of the kryptonite. And, uh, but meanwhile, Lana here is on the verge of a major breakthrough, one that she's been trying to get to for some time. She realizes she has kryptonite and wonders how it could affect Clark. And now this puts Superboy's secret identity in danger with only two minutes of two minutes of story time to clear it up. So Superboy finds an untapped deposit of glowing emeralds. I'm not sure why they're glowing like kryptonite. As as to the best of my knowledge, emeralds do not glow, but they do here because the story needs them to. And while nobody is paying attention, Superboy replaces the kryptonite with emeralds. And they basically kind of almost like they're fishing. The emerald is lowered into the house. And the kryptonite is taken out. And I love how this rope is sufficiently long enough for Superboy to swing around without being affected by the kryptonite. I think in the George Reeves series, Superman had to come within five feet of kryptonite in order for it to affect him. I wonder what the threshold is in this show. Because that wire looked pretty long and it enabled Superboy to uh, throw it out to deep space. So with, with the kryptonite no longer an issue, Superboy pulls one guy out the window. And then the other two follow him right out the window. And then Superman, Superboy explains to Lana that it was an emerald. <clears throat> and of course, Lana, not having seen Superboy's super rope, doesn't realize that she actually did have kryptonite when Clark went down. That the emerald is a completely different stone from what she found in the cave. So this is how when Lana real, realized that thinking Clark was Superboy was silly. Uh, you and your kryptonite, that, that emerald could have made us all rich. But I had it tested in a lab. I, I tell you, it is kryptonite. So uh, why ain't it hiding Superboy? <laughs> and to think that I believe that you and Clark Kent were... Oh, it's just too silly. If you're thinking what I think you're thinking, Lana, I agree with you. Which it isn't because we all know the truth and gets a wink at a, at a Superboy and she does not ask Superboy who she's who he's winking at. Just saying. So that was a fun little episode for our last episode of Filmation Coverage. I think the Superboy episodes this week were better than the uh, Superman ones with this episode, the Superboy episode, the Kryptonite Caper, definitely being the most fun out of all of them. And this is it. This is the end of uh, my coverage of the Filmation New Adventures of Superman and the Adventures of Superboy. I hope you enjoyed it. I enjoyed talking about it to varying degrees, but I will say this. I'm glad it's done. I had much more history with the stuff I talked about previous to this that I think my coverage of this was a little lacking. It didn't like that personal touch I was able to bring to previous episodes. It didn't like that personal touch I was able to bring to uh, previous incarnations. So, like I mentioned in the opening, two-month break, and I'll, and I'll return full, weekly with my coverage of Super Friends. But in early February, I'll cover Superman's Appearance on an episode of The Brady Kids from 1972. And I've got another project that I'm not announcing yet, but you might be hearing soon. And that'll be right here on uh, the Man of Screen podcast feed and on the 2TrueFreaks.com mega feed. But in the meantime, feedback is always welcome. Man of Screen at gmail.com. You can leave a message over at the Facebook group if you want to join the conversation there. Just put Man of Screen podcast in your search feed and the show should come up. You can also find the show on Twitter at Man of Screencast. 
And if you don't mind, during the break, why don't you leave the show review on iTunes? It'll help others find the show. So, till next time, folks. Have a good one. Take care. Bye. The Man of Spring Podcast is produced by Mike Zemo, and all opinions expressed on the show are those of Mike Zemo and his guests and no one else. All music and sound clips used on the show are for review purposes only, and no copyright infringement is intended. All music and sound clips are copyright their original copyright owners. The Man of Screen is a member of the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Network and can be found at www.twotruefreaks.com. If you shop at Amazon.com, please consider using the link at twotruefreaks.com to shop there. If you do, the Two True Freaks get a little cut of what you buy, and it doesn't cost you anything extra. So you can shop as usual and help out the Two True Freaks at the same time. Emails of this show can be sent to manofscreen at gmail.com. And you can also leave the show a review on iTunes. That will help others find the show. Thank you for listening to the Man of Screen Podcast.